the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. A modern world has all kinds of problems with the story of Noah and the flood. You see, modern skeptics today claim all kinds of things that they say couldn't possibly have happened with the flood. They, for example, say that the flood was only local. Do you realize that? That some say even, I might add, and we'll look more at this next week, but some would say even evangelicals, there are certain evangelicals who would say that the flood was not universal, that is not over the whole globe, but only local. I had a seminary professor who believed that. But there are others who are skeptics, who they just say it's impossible. It was a local flood, it was not universal. They say the concept of a universal flood is unscientific. They also claim, skeptics do, that the ark was too small to carry so many animals and that domesticated animals were taken into the ark, only domesticated animals, because uh, it would have been impossible, an impossible task for Noah and his family to gather all types of animals and then care for them and all that goes into that. Before we jump into today's program, I have a couple questions for you. Was the flood a universal flood or a local flood? More importantly, why do we have an account of the flood in the Bible? What is God saying to us with this account of the flood? Is it so we will understand why the earth looks the way it does? You know, there is a message in the story about the flood, and we need to be careful that we don't miss it. What is that message? Well, you should know by now I'm not going to spill the beans. I'm going to leave that to our speaker, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is all warmed up and ready to go. So let's get into the program. I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. We want to look at verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, 
And I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood, of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground. There went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Someone has said that it's a good thing that God didn't tell Noah to build an ark in modern times because if Noah had to build an ark today, he would run into all kinds of uh, interesting problems. Here's how someone imagined Noah explaining his problems to God. Noah speaking to God. First, I had to get a building permit for the ark, uh, for the ark construction project, and your plans didn't meet code. So I had to hire an engineer to redraw the plans. Then I got into a big fight over whether or not the ark needed a fire sprinkler system. My neighbors objected, claiming I was violating zoning by building the ark in my front yard. So I had to get a variance from the city planning commission. Then I had a big problem getting enough wood for the ark because there was a ban on cutting trees to save the spotted owl. I had to convince U.S. Fish and Wildlife that I needed wood to save the owls, but they wouldn't let me catch any owls, so no owls. Then the carpenters formed a union and went on strike. I had to negotiate a settlement with the National Labor Relations Board before anyone would pick up a saw or a hammer. Now we have 16 carpenters going on the boat and still no owls. Then I started gathering up animals and got sued by the animal rights group. They objected to me taking only two of each kind. Just when I got the suit dismissed, EPA notified me that I couldn't complete the ark without filing an environmental impact statement on your proposed flood. They didn't take kindly to the idea that they had no jurisdiction over the conduct of a supreme being. Then the Army Corps of Engineers wanted a map of the proposed new flood plan. I sent them a globe. Right now, I'm trying to resolve a complaint from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission over how many Croatians I'm supposed to hire. The IRS has seized all my assets, claiming I'm trying to avoid paying taxes by leaving the country. And I just got a notice from the state about owing some kind of uh, use tax. Well, Noah obviously didn't have those kinds of problems with the modern world. But interestingly enough, a modern world has all kinds of problems with the story of Noah and the flood. You see, modern skeptics today claim all kinds of things that they say couldn't possibly have happened with the flood. They, for example, say that the flood was only local. Do you realize that? That some say, even, I might add, and we'll look more at this next week, but some would say even evangelicals, there are certain evangelicals who would say that the flood was not universal, that is not over the whole globe, but only local. I had a seminary professor who believed that. But there are others who are skeptics, who they just say it's impossible. It was a local flood, it was not universal. They say the concept of a universal flood is unscientific. They also claim, skeptics do, that the ark was too small to carry so many animals and that domesticated animals were taken into the ark, only domesticated animals, because uh, it would have been impossible, an impossible task for Noah and his family to gather all types of animals and then care for them and all that goes into that. And this morning and next Sunday morning, we want to look at some of the reasons why we believe that the flood was universal and how to answer some of these skeptical problems and questions that have been raised. However, we don't want to do only that. We don't only want to do that because more than answer the objections of the skeptics, we want to understand what is the biblical message here? 
What is God saying to us? God doesn't have to answer to anybody about what he does. But I want to show you that there are reasonable answers. But we don't want to miss the message of God to us concerning the flood. Because I want to suggest to you that more than an event and more than a story is given concerning the flood. It is not simply an historical event, but it is intended in the big picture of Scripture to convey some very key spiritual truths to us. That is to say that this is a historical story. It's an event that really happened, but it's more than that. There are some key messages here. Now, why do I say that? Because New Testament writers use the story of Noah and the ark and the flood to illustrate some very, very important truths. For example, but 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, uses the flood story to speak of God's patience. And the next verse, in verse 21, Peter compares the waters of the flood to baptism. So it's a historical event, but he is using it to illustrate some things. And Peter is sort of like the apostle of the flood, because not only does he mention the flood once, he mentions it about three times. In 2 Peter 2.5, Peter mentions the flood, uses the flood story to illustrate God's certain judgment on sin. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter compares the judgment of the flood with the coming judgment on the earth of fire speaking of that and illustrating it by that. So Peter has a lot to say about the flood story, but not only Peter. The writer to the Hebrews uses this story of Noah building an ark to demonstrate true faith. True faith is believing God even when you don't know what's going to happen. It's taking God at his word. And even the Lord Jesus used the story of Noah and the times that Noah lived in to illustrate that that's precisely what it's going to be like just before the Son of Man returns. They're going to be drinking and getting married and eating and giving in marriage and all that. What was Jesus saying? He was saying that it's going to be business as usual. No one's going to expect it. And that's precisely what happened with the flood story. Even though Noah was preaching for 120 years, nobody expected it until it was too late. So with this in mind, knowing that the flood story is intended to convey some important spiritual truths to us, we want to look this morning at the perspective of one key spiritual truth. Then Lord willing, next week we'll look at the second key spiritual truth of chapter 7. We're going to look at the deliverance of the godly this week and then the destruction of the ungodly next week. Now, this outline comes from John Phillips and his very uh, good commentary on Genesis. And so we have Mr. Phillips to thank for that. But it's an outline that I think captures the heart of what God is telling us. So let's look at the first key spiritual lesson, and it is the deliverance of the godly. God delivers the godly. We begin with verse 1. And the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. 120 years prior to this time, God had revealed to Noah his plan to destroy the earth and everyone on the earth through a flood. At that time, God had instructed Noah to build an ark. Not really a cruise liner, wasn't designed to really move so much through the waters. It was designed to float on the waters, and it was a, a huge barge-like vessel. Now, we know from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and we've looked at this in previous weeks, that during this time, Noah was not only building an ark, but Noah was also preaching a message of righteousness and repentance, telling people to repent and get right with God because judgment was sure to come. But now... 
that time is over. The time for preaching is over. The ark is built. It's ready. God is ready to send the flood. As someone said this, he said, the last tree had been felled, the last timber secured in its place, the last nail driven home, the last pail of pitch applied. And now God says with these simple words, enter the ark, you and your household. Why? Because verse 1 very plainly says that you alone, Noah, of all the people on the face of the planet, and I suggest to you there must have been billions just like in our day, with all the people on the planet, only you alone are righteous. You're the only righteous man, individual, on the face of the earth. Now, I want to explain a few things about this so that we don't misunderstand it. I want you to see some very wonderful truths connected with this. First of all, Noah wasn't righteous or saved, as we would put it, because he entered the ark. He was not saved by entering the ark. That did not make him righteous because he obeyed God. That would be a salvation by good works or obedience or any type of thing that he had done. The point is this, but because he was already righteous, because he had a relationship with the Lord, because he was, in our words, a saved man, God delivered him from judgment. That's what's happening here. You see, the ark is a picture of the safety and the security that every believer has. That's why I say the ark was more than a historical event. The ark is also a picture of the safety that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Safety from judgment, because the waters picture judgment. And to see this, I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. What we're going to look at is a portion of scripture that many have questions about a portion of scripture that has troubled some people, but I'm going to try to make it as plain and clear as I possibly could. First Peter chapter 3, as I told you, Peter is like the apostle of the flood. He writes a lot about it. Begin in verse 18. For Christ also died for our sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. The Bible says that Jesus Christ spoke. I take it that Christ spoke through Noah, as Peter writes at the beginning of his book, that the spirit of God was in the prophets speaking to them, Speaking to the people, Jesus Christ, I take it, spoke through Noah to the ancient world about their need to repent. He proclaimed their need to repent. But the people, according to this, were disobedient, except eight people. Disobedience. In fact, it says they perished in the flood and they are now in prison. They are now in Hades. They are now in prison, waiting for the final prison. But Noah and his family, it says, were brought safely through the flood. Now watch this. Verse 21 is what we want to focus on. And corresponding to that, corresponding to water, he says, the flood waters, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what does he mean by this? Does he mean that the physical waters of baptism could save you? No. That's impossible. First of all, it completely contradicts the rest of Scripture. So even if you didn't understand, if you don't understand what he's talking about here, you know that he couldn't be saying that baptism saves you because that could have nothing to do with your salvation. Our salvation is secure because God's wrath and holiness and righteousness is satisfied by one thing and one thing alone, 
the death of the perfect Son of God. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He is the satisfaction for our sins. God's holiness is satisfied. But what does this mean? Well, first of all, Peter explains that he's not talking about the literal, physical waters that make you wet in baptism. How do we know that? Look at the end of verse 21. He says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not talking about the outward ordinance of baptism. It can't save you. What I am talking about is he's explaining that salvation isn't getting wet in the water, but it happens when you desire an internally cleansed conscience from God, which comes through the death and then resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's talking about internally a cleansed conscience. When you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, you come because you want a cleansed conscience. You want to be forgiven of your sins. You understand your defilements and that the waters of baptism, they don't do that. They don't deal with the inward person. So if you knew nothing else, you know, number one, the rest of scripture doesn't teach that salvation is by baptism. And number two, Peter explains it right here. I'm not talking about just getting wet. I'm talking about getting a cleansed conscience. So what does he mean? Now watch this. Notice in verse 21, he says, in corresponding to that, that is baptism corresponds to what? Corresponds to waters, the flood waters. The word for corresponding to that means it's a symbol. In the King James Version, it says it's the like figure. It's a symbol. It's a picture. Baptism is like the waters of the flood, watch this, in the sense that the waters represented God's judgment on the world. But the waters that were judgment for others outside the ark actually delivered Noah and his family in an indirect sense. They escaped judgment by floating on the waters. What was judgment and death to everybody else actually helped Noah because the waters kept him afloat in the midst of judgment. Baptism, in the same sense, also reminds us and represents to us and symbolizes God's judgment on Jesus Christ. And that judgment is what saves us because we are in the ark of safety, the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week, you will see a baptismal service. You'll see some of our people be baptized in the waters of baptism just above me. Those waters represent judgment upon sin. When we take somebody down into the waters, it represents that they died in Christ and they are risen when we bring them up where they are risen again to a newness of life. Those waters really represent judgment upon Jesus Christ, just as the floodwaters represented judgment on the world. And yet they saved in a sense they delivered physically. They delivered Noah and his family. So the waters of baptism symbolize the judgment of God upon sin But thank God you're in the ark of safety if you know Jesus Christ. That's the point. That's what Peter is saying. If you are in Christ, you will never experience God's judgment on your sin. That already took place on Calvary 2,000 years ago. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you will experience judgment. Whether you think you will or not, you will. But if you're in the ark of safety, Jesus Christ then you are safe forever. And you need to know that. The message of eternal security is such a comforting message. It is not a license to sin. What it is, though, is saying to you that you are safe and secure, and because of that, you ought to want to obey God even more diligently because of his love for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And we never want to become so comfortable with that doctrine, never want to become so comfortable in our salvation that we don't appreciate what we have in Jesus Christ. We have safety, we have security, no matter what you go through. And Peter's readers were going through some very difficult times, suffering and physically being persecuted. Now you have trials, and Peter is telling them, but you have a living hope. You have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've been born again and you are safe. You are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation which will someday ultimately be revealed to you in the future. I'd like you to look at John chapter 10. I know there are people who struggle with the whole issue of eternal security and the passage of scripture that to me is the clearest and most helpful and most direct statement in all the Bible about eternal security is John chapter 10. I don't know how anybody could interpret it otherwise. I don't know how Jesus could have said it any more clear than this. Verse 27 of John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They hear me, I have a relationship with them and they follow me. God's sheep follow him. They don't necessarily follow as closely as they'd like to follow. There are times they may be lagged behind, but as a way of life, as a habit, as a general direction, they're following the shepherd. And I give eternal life to them. It's a gift. And they shall never perish. I don't know how you can say it any clearer. They shall never, ever perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hands. Satan can't. Trials can't. You can't even do it. And what believer would want to ever snatch himself out of the Lord's hands? You are in his hands. You are not holding on to him. He is holding on to you. It is not so much the perseverance of the saints is that the Savior perseveres with us. But notice this. If we only had that, that would be sufficient, that Jesus Christ is holding on to us. That is the security of the believer, but we have double security. Verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. You know the old Allstate commercial, you're in good hands with Allstate? You're in better hands with Jesus Christ and the Father. Those hands of Allstate, if I recall, they're open. Christ's hands and the Father's hands are closed around you. You are secure. As we go back to Genesis 7, we read in verses 2 through 9 that Noah, and we read it before so we won't take the time now to do that, but Noah was not alone in the ark. According to verse 4, God says in seven days he's going to send the flood. So Noah now has to take care of some last-minute preparations or last-week preparations, the preparations of the last week. And this would entail getting the animals on board, making sure he and his family are on board before the waters come. Now, at this point, we want to think through several issues that skeptics have raised and problems. And I do this so that you would be strengthened in your faith, especially those of you who are challenged by people, maybe university students, maybe others who think that they have all the answers about this and how unscientific this really was. Let's look at some of these issues. Number one, And we looked at this a little bit last week, but I want to take it further this week. How could the ark carry all of those animals? Those are a lot of animals. How could they do that? Well, what kind of animals were there? The verses tell us two each, a male and a female of animals that were unclean. That would mean ritualistically unclean. It must have been that God revealed to Noah which animals were clean and which were not. Because technically, you have the clean and unclean distinction only with the people of Israel. So God must have revealed this especially to Noah because it's not revealed later until Leviticus chapter 11. 
Then you have seven other animals, which would be three pairs plus one of clean animals, ritualistically clean. Probably these animals were for sacrifice later and for eating. Remember, up to this point, man did not eat animals. It's after the flood in Genesis 9 that man is permitted to eat animals. So it may very well have been for this purpose. Now, according to the latest research, and I did some more research this week, there is a book by a man named John Woodmorep who wrote a book called Noah's Ark, A Feasible Study, and his conclusion was only about 16,000 animals needed to be on the ark. When you consider, he said, that not all animals, and we touched on this last week, but all kinds of animals, that would be families of animals in a very non-scientific language, let's call it families of animals. That, for example, would mean you have horses and zebras and donkeys who probably descended from the same horse-like kind. Tigers and lions probably have one common ancestor. Dogs, wolves, uh, coyotes, jackals are from the canine kind, and you have that down the line. We are coming to the end of today's Verse by Verse program, but what an interesting program this has been. At the beginning of the program today, I asked you a series of questions, but I think the most important was this. What is God saying to us in this account of the flood? Pastor Steve started to answer that for us in today's program. One of the things he said was, the ark is a picture of the safety and the security that every believer has. That's why I say the ark was more than an historical event. The ark is also a picture of the safety that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Steve also took us to John chapter 10 to talk about our eternal security as it was explained by Jesus. We have more to study, so I hope you're able to join us for the next Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.